This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Kristen Struer, and you are listening to episode 36, and you are going to love today's episode. Today's guest is a woman who is a beacon of light and hope. Her beautiful story and message come at a time where the world faces so much uncertainty. More than 10 years ago, on a sunny morning bike ride in Brooklyn, 24-year-old Katie McKenna was forever changed when she was run over by an 18-wheeler. Being crushed under a massive semi-truck wasn't something that Katie should have survived. After 10 hours of emergency surgery, she woke up to find herself in a body and a life that would never be the same. In today's episode, she shares her personal story of this trauma, her recovery, and her incredible outlook on life. She has chosen the path where she celebrates small bites and little victories, and she feels that she is living life for all the people who didn't get a second chance like her. For Katie, this translates into living in the present moment and aggressively chasing joy. Katie uses her story as a parallel to what the world is facing today and asks some tough and beautiful questions and challenges us to live fully present and find joy despite uncertainty, fear, and a new normal. You will leave this conversation inspired, hopeful, and ready to dream and aggressively chase joy. You will love my conversation with Katie. Welcome Katie to the Illuminate Podcast. So happy to have you here today. Oh my gosh, Kristen, I'm so delighted to be here. And, you know, it's fun. You were introduced to me by a friend of mine from graduate school. And I'm so, after I learned more about you and your story, I was like, I have to get you onto the Illuminate podcast as soon as possible. And especially right now during this really uncertain time that is requiring a lot of resilience and Mm -hmm. patience and uncertainty. And you just have this beautiful story of persevering through that in your life. And so just really glad to have you on the show. Well, I am so grateful. As soon as I heard your podcast, I was like, what a light in the world and how grateful I am that that you create something for other people to listen to and, and to find hope and joy in times when, when things are uncertain. And it's, I love that, you know, Mr. Rogers quote, where it's like, when there are hard times, look for the helpers. And I think this podcast is one of those helpers that people can listen to when they're having a hard time and, and, you know, thank you for being a creator and being a helper. It's it's really a beautiful thing. And for that, I am super grateful. That's such a good quote. I love that. We watch a lot of Daniel Tiger currently in our house mm-hmm, of quarantine, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, new, new day um, 
Mr. Rogers. So it's good to have those, the old, the old school quotes coming the back. OG. I mean, who doesn't love Mr. Rogers in the land of make-believe? I will lean into that so hard. Right? Love that guy. I also love a good cardigan, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that they, they should bring the cardigans back. I know he's, he's amazing. I know that you don't see me, but I'm currently wearing an open cardigan. If I'm being honest. Love it. Okay, great. (laughs) Quarantine fashion. I'm really killing it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty much in sweats all all day, every day right now. So a friend of mine, I told her I was wearing jeans. She goes, what are you trying to prove with your zipper? I was like, I know. I'm a very fancy woman. Watch out. (laughs) Sometimes my husband wears jeans too. And I'm like, why? I, I saw, I don't know if you follow Simon Holland at all. He's... I think he's a comedian, but he has these hilarious one-liners and we just crack up at him. But one of his like recent tweets was, does anybody remember what it's like to get ready to go out? <laughs> and it's like, no. So true. Yeah. I went to the grocery store and I had heart palpitations, not just because of overarching anxiety, but also because I was like, who am I going to see? Like, you know, like I was like, like I was online at a club in the city. Like I was like, what? has my life become. (laughs) All right. So Katie, take me back to your early 20s. And really, I'd love to hear more about the story about um, why you're here, why you are aggressively chasing joy, and really how you have come to really celebrate the small successes and little things in life. Yes. So um bringing me back to my early twenties, which was obviously just a couple years ago. No, actually it was, it was, um, it was 12 years ago, but it was, <laughs> I was working in finance. Um, I was living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and I had actually just started a month before at a new finance job. I was working as a internal wholesaler and, um, wholesaling mutual funds. And I was just finishing up a 10 mile bike ride. And, um, it was about six fifteen in the morning and I was, I saw the sunrise kind of rising over these really beautiful low brick buildings about two blocks from my apartment. And I was at a stoplight and um, there was a truck on my left-hand side and there was a Mazda behind it. And I indicated to the truck that I was making a right-hand turn and it didn't have its indicator on and neither did the Mazda behind it. So I thought that I kind of was good to go. So I saw this green light and I made my right turn wide and easy and because I thought the truck wasn't turning and um suddenly as I was turning I heard the truck on my left hand side I heard it start to turn and I saw it turning towards me and I missed the cab of the truck only by a couple of inches but unfortunately the first four wheels of this 18 wheel truck um ran over my body Mm. And then because he didn't know that he'd run me over, he didn't stop. So the second (gasps) ran over my body. So I was kind of, I was run over basically twice is is what people will say is it was by eight wheels, um, crushed my body from just below my collarbone, um, down past my pelvis. So like you can actually, you could see the tire tracks actually, um, on my, on my stomach, um, and I broke all of my ribs. I fractured my pelvis in five places, had a series of internal injuries. Um, and the thing that was the most amazing, Kristen, is that I was conscious during the entire event. So you remember this, like you, what was the last like moment you have that you remembered? All of it. 
There's All not a moment that I remember. I remember hearing my bones cracking. I remember the smell of the asphalt. I remember the sound of the horn. I remember after the first four wheels crushed my body, just screaming out, oh my God, please no. And my body actually bracing for the second set of wheels. So I remember contracting my abdominal muscles and throwing my arms up over my head to make sure that I didn't get break my arms. So I remember everything up until the minute that the doctor intubated me for surgery. Oh my goodness. So was the Mazda behind you? They, they're they the behind the truck. They're the ones that saw the accident. They're the ones who saw the accident. They're the ones who called 911. They're the ones who actually called my parents. There was a young woman. Her name was Giselle. She's probably only a couple years older than I was. And she, her boyfriend who was driving put up flares around me and Giselle sat with me and held my hand and called the ambulance and then also asked me if I remembered my parents' phone number which amazingly I did. And so they called and she called and left a voice message, um, you know, an, an answering machine message and told my parents to call her back as soon as possible. Oh my gosh. It was wow. incredible. Wow. So you literally got hit by a truck. Yes. They take you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? At the hospital, um, I get rushed into emergency surgery and I ask the doctor closest to my head if she thinks that I'm going to live. And she looks me in the eyes and she says, probably not. And I said to her, can you please tell my family that I love them? Tell my boyfriend, I'm sorry about that fight that we had last night and that I love him and please tell my friends that I'm, I'm so sorry, like, and that I love them and that I, I, and I was like, please, please don't let me die. Like, please do everything you can. I really don't want to die. Um, and there was this moment where I was just like, I, I, I only blinked 40 times from the time I was run over until I was put out for anesthesia. And because I had this really weird thing in my mind of being like, if, if I close, if I don't close my eyes then I'll stay alive. Right. Mm-hmm. Like almost like I'm a cartoon character where it's like, if your eyes are open, then you can't die. And every time that I closed my eyes, I was afraid that that would be when death would come. And that was part of the reason why it was so important to me to stay conscious. Mm-hmm. And I would just remember this moment before I closed my eyes. Like I, I didn't, I didn't want to go to heaven and I, I didn't want to go to hell. I, I just wanted like more. It was this overarching feeling of just like, I want more. Yeah. There's more to your life that you needed to live. Exactly. Like that, that I just, I just, I didn't know what it was and I didn't, I didn't want for it to just be good. And I didn't want for it to just be bad. No matter what, I just wanted more of it. Wow. So that doctor Mm-hmm. Was this a doctor that cared for you for through some of the recovery and after the surgery? No, no, she was just an emergency room doctor. Okay, okay, yeah. How does she know that you? Uh, you're she does. A- alive yeah. and thriving. She does. She knows that I'm alive. I, I think. 
I think that she knows that I'm thriving. Um, and you know, there was, I did write a book and I, I think that, um, we did send the book to some of the doctors who worked with me. Um, so I think that they knew that I, that I lived and that like, because I, I, you know, that the month that I spent in the hospital at that hospital afterwards, um, she did come in to see me and, and they were very, very shocked and surprised. So what, what kind of recovery did you have to go through? Well, um, I was in the ICU for about a week. Um, and then I got put into regular hospital, um, for another month. And, um, while I was there, the doctors told me that I would probably never walk again and that I shouldn't expect to live anything resembling a normal life. Hmm. Then need, from, and, yeah. and in that you need a different, you would need different sort of rehab support exactly. and yeah, that the life that I had been living before just like no longer existed for me. And then I left that hospital and I went to a second rehabilitation hospital where I'd been feeling like pretty disheartened and I was very fear filled. I basically, my recovery while I was in the first hospital, I had no feeling in my body below my rib cage. Um, so I hadn't moved my legs. I, I lost, I'd been a really athletic person before that, been either like biking 10 miles or running five miles every other day. And, you know, my recovery was really scary and overwhelming and, and terrifying because I just, I had no control over my life, kind of similarly to the way that a lot of us feel right now, you know, with what's happening in the world is that we feel completely out of control mm -hmm. and the life that we knew before did not exist because we're in this weird sort of limbo place of, of not knowing when it's going to end, if it's going to get better, if we'll get hurt, if we'll be okay. And my recovery was really hard and scary, but it was also incredibly beautiful. I was loved by my family and by my friends. Um, I was given great care in a lot of ways. And I also had this opportunity where when I was told that I was never going to walk again, I had this, I had a couple of days where I felt sorry for myself. And the craziest thing, Kristen, a couple that, days, that's it. Just a couple of days. Cause I was like, I'm not going to let this get me down because you know what, like, what am I going to do? Like, so like my take was once they set the bar that low, I was like, watch me. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. So anything that is better than me not being paralyzed from the rib cage down is a win. And when the bar is that low, you get the opportunity to make no your favorite word. Because when there's a no, you're going to be paralyzed. Then it's like, all right, you can't get worse than this, you know? So it's like, it's like this amazing thing. And, and the thing that was crazy was that I just, I never told my parents. My parents never knew that the doctors told me I would never walk again. Really? Yes. Because I couldn't, unfortunately, my father's sister had been in a drunk driving accident when she was 21 years old. And um, she sustained very serious brain damage. Mm. And um, my father and his brother and, and my mother and my grandmother um, and my grandfather for a while, but sadly he passed after she came out of her coma only about six months later. So my father and his younger brother, who was younger than my aunt, they had to care for her um, in conjunction with my grandmother. Um, and I knew what a deep impact that would have on a family. And I couldn't, I couldn't bring that to my father and my mother and my family again. So I was like, if there is a way for me to figure this out, 
I'm lucky in that I have the mental acuity. I'm not brain damaged. So how can I rationalize and figure this out and be able to try to rebuild my life? Like very, very tiny steps. What can I control in this moment in the same way that we're feeling like in the world that things are kind of uncontrollable? How can I control what I can control? So there are two things you can control in life and they're your attitude and they're your activity. And that was what I was going to do. I knew that in order to have people keep coming around, I kind of had to have a good attitude. I had to like laugh at myself. I had to like make jokes. I had to, to keep myself positive. And in my activity, I like asked my mom to come and bring like, you know, those like tiny weights like that you'd use in like jazzercise. Uh-huh. I was like, did you get me a one pound weight? She's like, what do you need with a one pound weight? I was like, babe, I'm going to start pumping iron. Like, right. I got to get, get some muscles. Like, <laughs> totally. Exactly. I, I was like, if I'm going to not be able to use my legs, then I need to have a really strong upper body to be able to like function through getting in and out of a wheelchair, being able to get the things that I need. Like, so I started to build up things in that way. And I live my life in a small bites and little victories mindset. And that is what got me through that period of time. Um, happily, I was put into a rehabilitation facility that believed in me and would let me work as hard as I could until I couldn't. And they were unbelievable. Um, they did so many things to build up my my endurance and my resilience. And they encouraged me like crazy. Um, and that really helped me while I was relearning how to walk. Like, And I also was a little bit of a trickster in that anytime that I would They'd ask me like, oh, did you do your rehab today? I was like, no, I didn't do it today. You know, like if there's any extra work that we could do. So I would have um, the, the people who are the physical therapists, I'd wind up getting like double physical therapy just because I, they like would be like, oh, no, they didn't come in. And that was like an unbelievable, amazing thing that, that they kind of just like, I think they knew. Like I'm sure there were sheets where they're like, no, Katie got her therapy. I was like, I'm not, I'll, take, I'll take a double. I could take it. I like, you know. I like my rehab like I like my martinis, a double. I'm into it. <laughs> so how long did – so you, you can walk. How long yeah. did it take you to get there? Well, I took my first steps unaided about three months later. Just from – like with a walker, I did mm-hmm. it three months later. And then my first steps without canes or a walker was – Eight months later, at my best friend's wedding, where I was a bridesmaid, um, because I didn't, I didn't want anybody to not think only of her. Wow! And I thought that if I had a cane or a walker or something, they would think of me instead of her. And my parents weren't invited to the wedding, but they came, <laughs> and they like sat in the church because it was a Greek wedding, so you have to stand the whole time. So my dad stood on the, was on the aisle and the whole time he was in like the, the pounce position of just seeing if maybe I was wavering at all so that he, that if he needed to, he could lift me up. Oh my um, gosh. The first time that I walked unaided. That's amazing. What a beautiful time for that to happen. It was great. It was great. I had my canes with me at the reception and like really kind of, I brought it on the dance floor. In nice. Nice. <laughs> And then when did you, when did you move off with the, off of the canes? That was probably, it was that June. So it was about, it was about like a couple weeks after that where I was like, this is, I can do this. So all in, it was about eight months after I'd say. 
Wow. That's incredible. Especially after somebody's told you you're not going to ever walk again. Yeah, it was really amazing. It was wow. such a, it was a really very lucky situation. I was incredibly supported and so loved. And I think that that, that gives you the strength to believe that you can do anything, you know? Yeah. yeah. So this is pretty, I don't know if people ask you this, but the truck driver, mm-hmm. did you ever interact with him? Yeah. People ask that all the time. It's okay. such a good question. Um, I never interacted with him. Um, he did come to the hospital while I was in, um, in the ICU and, um, I never met him. He wanted to meet with me, but my parents, I was still on a ventilator and, um, in the ICU and I wasn't really seeing anybody. And, and my parents were in a state where it wasn't, it, it would have been done more harm than good, I think for them to see him and for me to see him. Um, but I have never heard from him since hmm. and we've never interacted. Um, I believe that he knows that I'm okay. Um, and I hope that he does because there, you know, there was like insurance stuff and, and, um, but I just hope that he knows that like, I know that he didn't do it on purpose. Sure. He didn't set out that day to hurt anybody. And, and that like, I'm more than okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you had mentioned that the doctor said, you know, you're never going to have the life that you had before. And when you, when something this life-changing and traumatic happens, I, I assume that you came out a different person. Yes, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we, we joke about it as old Katie and new Katie. Um, and like, that's, you know, old, I like talking about old Katie, like with such love and affection. Like I love old Katie, her like naiveness, her like pep. She had like a little bit of selfishness that was kind of adorable, but also a bit of a pain. Um, and she, she was like, she was a lot of fun. And I got to tell you that girl was strong because without her strength and without her perseverance and without her unwillingness to give up in the face of great challenges, there would be no space and no place for new Katie. My, my parents always say like old Katie was a lot of fun, but she did not, she wasn't as grateful. Hmm. She wasn't as giving. She was more likely to kind of like get into a sad, bad place and not, not get out of it. I think that this new version of my life and, and the person that I believe myself to be what I think the most striking thing about this like iteration or new Katie that I've been for a few years now is that I, I feel like I owe it to the world to make it a little bit better for having me in it. And what that can mean is, is probably gets to the heart of what your podcast is all about, right? Is to be light, to try to bring joy to other people to be kind in interactions, to make people's lives better for having me in it. Because if it isn't, then what's, what's the point of my being alive? The end game is to bring a little bit of light, to bring kindness, to bring joy, to bring understanding, empathy, compassion, and more than anything else, love. And I think that that's the greatest thing about new Katie. And also, I think that it allows me a little bit of space in a way that's different and, and in a way that I think that we as, as human beings are going to be touched by this, you know, pandemic, this truly this trauma. 
And that I came out a lot more grateful for the tiniest of things. I mean, did you ever think that you'd you'd be like grateful for like getting pushed around in the grocery store? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like someone will someone is going to be like yelling at me because I took their Cheerios. Like that is I can't wait. That's going to be the best day. And I think that like it allows for that. It allows it allows me to be grateful for small things. And I live every day as if there's not going to be tomorrow. Not in a reckless way, but in a way where I I really do chase joy, and I try to find the most fun in everything. And to just like, I think of it in, in my mind, the, the mental image that's coming to me is like trying to take every experience and like bringing it close to my body. Like I'm hugging it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm because you can't it. hug anything else right exactly, now. Absolutely. I know. Seriously. It's just me. <laughs> just me and me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about where you're finding joy in just the everyday of this strange world we're living in currently. Oh my gosh. Such a great question, Kristen. I find joy in hot cups of coffee with an unbelievable amount of milk and so much sugar that it should be a dessert. I am finding joy in um, in the snow that keeps falling in Vermont where my parents live, where I am currently holed up because Brooklyn isn't the place for us to be right now. I find joy in the fact that it's lighter later and that the world continues to shift and change even though I feel like some things in my life are staying the same. I find joy in phone calls that people weren't, were usually too busy to pick up in a, in like a cold white wine when the day is done and the comfort and happiness that I feel in being able to hold hands with my husband, even when the world seems crazy, those moments of normalcy and laughter and that the light sometimes is so perfect and that the crocuses are starting to bloom, even though it feels like the world has stopped. Oh my gosh. I love all of those things. (laughs) That's so beautiful. And that's such a good reminder of really taking in that those little joys in the everyday, because we have to right now. There's, I don't know if there's any other way to get through this. We can't, we can't distract ourselves, right? That's the thing that's interesting is that we have no choice but to be insanely present because what anxiety is, is is like the fear of the unknown, right? But if we're present, if we feel our feet on the ground and like our hot cup of coffee or the eye contact with our partners or with a friend or like with the people that we're quarantined with, in that moment, we're okay. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is in the present moment, we're okay. Yeah, that's so good. I have a funny story to tell you. So my husband and I do, we have an annual New Year's Eve party that always has a costume theme. Oh my gosh, you're the best. (laughs) It's really fun. And every year there's a different theme. And so one year the theme was dress as your New Year's resolution. And so this was a few years back, but I dressed as uh, my resolution was to be present. And so I dressed as a big present and put the words be on it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But I feel like I should have done that for 2020. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it's a, it is so, I, I love that. We really have no choice but to be insanely present right now. Exactly. And like, we want to, this is. This is momentous. Mm-hmm. And 
in a weird way. So something that's interesting that I took away from my, my crash and almost dying is that I felt like I really needed to live my life for all of the people who didn't get a second chance. Yeah. And I feel like that's also something we have to be really aware of right now too. Yeah. Is that all the things that feel really hard that there are people who are ill who would do trade anything for that discomfort. Yep. Yeah. I also think about the things that, you know, things that feel hard, mm. you know, for maybe for us. And then there's somebody else who is, oh. you know, an example is we're bringing, you know, we go to the grocery store and yeah. taking all the precautions and then we, mm-hmm do a sanitizing of the Mm -hmm. groceries. I don't know whether or not it helps, but we're doing it because, you know, we're trying to, but how lucky am I that I have groceries that I can bring into my home? I, that I do like a gratitude list when I think of it. And the number one thing is like, I have paper to write. I've got a pen in my hand. I'm in a warm place, a food full of a fridge full of food. And like, and I'm, I'm conscious and aware that I am loved that like, I just, I, 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 it, it overwhelms your heart sometimes of just being like, once you start at that granular level, it becomes, it flows out of you of all the places and spaces for joy and for gratitude. And I love that. That's what you think of Kristen. Cause that's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And it's easy to forget it when we're in a rush. But when we're living as your New Year's resolution, and it almost speaks like, <laughs> because when we're in the present, everything's a gift, right? Yes. When I know that's the like present, the worst everything's pun, but a gift. it's true. Yeah, it's so true. It know? is so true. Yes, it absolutely is. So I, I was reading a little bit about your story and your memoir, and I saw that Ellen is developing a one-hour drama on your story. Yes. Yeah, they're looking to turn um, How to Get Run Over by a Truck which is a book that I wrote into a, into a, like a, a series, which is just unbelievable and so exciting. It's like we're we're fig- we've got our toes and fingers crossed that it will it will come about. But yeah. Okay, who do you think should be the cast member that plays you? Oh my goodness, someone so cute and funny. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I feel like I I, I like. There have been options, you know, the the thing that's amazing is they ask you these things, right? And I'm like, I don't know. And the thing that's amazing is that in the pilot, like the writers of of the pilot, um, they like put together a description of who the person is. And the way that they describe the character of Katie, I'm like, oh my gosh, she sounds so charming and fun. Thank you guys. <laughs> like, so I, I'm not sure. I have no idea. That's I, awesome. The, they'll like ask and be, I was like, Kristen Bell, a la Veronica Mars. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I was reading that you also, you celebrate your celebrate. So yeah. That's a weird no, term. The anniversary totally of, right. You're exactly yeah. Right. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, um, as a family, we, um, my parents did this really amazing thing and I actually would recommend it to everybody who's in quarantine right now. Um, they asked me what I wanted to do once I got out, like to make a plan. They're like, what would mean a lot to you? And I was like, I don't want to be afraid of the anniversary. I don't want to be scared. So I'd like to have a party 
on the day, on the anniversary of the accident. And I was like, let's call it F the T. And they're like, F the T. And I'm going to let everybody use their deductive reasoning, but it's <laughs> F the truck. Um, and so what we do is we um, go to the corner where the crash happened because I didn't want to be afraid of the spot either. Um, and we bring bottles of champagne. And we, at the time that the crash happened, we open up bottles of champagne and we are grateful for each other. And we are grateful for old Katie for how hard she fought. And we're grateful for the life that new Katie got. And we raise a glass and we hug and we, we just celebrate the life that we're lucky enough to live. Oh my gosh. What's the date of that? October 2nd. And do you want to hear something interesting? Yes. So I'm Catholic and um, October 2nd is the patron saint day of the guardian angel. Really? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm definitely toasting to you on October 2nd. Yay, please That's do. That's so awesome. <laughs> but I also love, you're so right. We should make a plan for, even though we don't know what the world looks like on the other end, and you didn't either. Mm -mm. And what would we celebrate? What would that look like? Great question. Yeah. Like that is something, and I'm, I also work as a life coach and something that I'm dealing with a lot of clients with a lot of anxiety right now. And that is something that I talk to them about of being like, let's talk about the ideal day when this ends. Mm -hmm. And what is it? What does, we're given a clean slate kind of about being like, what does future life look like? Who is the person that you want to be when this ends? And what does that perfect day look like? What are you going to do? Who are you going to see? And in what way, ways does that matter? And how does that define what you're doing now and who you want to be when you come out at the other end of this? Oh, I love all of those questions. It's I'm going to have to start right? thinking through each of those. <laughs> do, please do. It's like, and, and if you can like share them, you know, share them with people and then ask them that too, because it does allow for us to, to dream, right. And, and to think about future us and how do we set future us up for success by the things that we're doing in the present? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love the, it does allow us to, to dream yeah. and, and hopefully, take that and turn it into the reality of what Absolutely. that that other side looks like yeah and and something that I think about and I've been I, I also work as a, I have a ton of jobs um but I also work as a motivational speaker and something that and I've been asked to be on a, like a couple of panels online and and it's been wonderful and and the way that I've talked about it is that we all feel like we've been run over by a truck right now right it, it's a turn of phrase for a reason Mm -hmm. And we're in a moment that we're looking at the broken pieces of our life and we are challenged with something incredible and meaningful. And it's, what are you going to do with those pieces to create something that was even more beautiful than was there before? Uh, yes. Yes. Right. And we have to look at it that way. Yeah. And I think that's the, probably the only way to break through. Mm the uncertainty and anxiety and the, 
the moments of hard that exist in a day. Mm. Yes. You're so right. You're exactly right. I love that. So tell me more what it means to be a life coach. Well, my the work that I do is just helping people to overcome the challenges that that they're facing in their lives, that there's a place where they are, and then there's a place where they want to be. And everything that they've sort of done on their own, they haven't been able to get from point A to point B. Hmm. So the work that I do is is honestly like sort of what I just did before about asking asking clients questions about what do you think is holding you back? How can you leverage the experiences that you've had in the past to get you past this point? What will make your life more meaningful? What is it that you truly want? What is it that's getting in the way? And it's one of the greatest gifts of my life is to take the experiences that I've had and how I've overcome my own challenges and bring that to clients to try to help them overcome theirs. And, and to also like, again, take a look at those pieces and see what you want to build. It's just been like, I really, I just got, I, before, before we spoke, I was speaking with a client and it is, it's been the most meaningful work of my life. I, I don't know why I survived, but I, my hope is, is that, is that I can, that it's because of this. It's the ability to help and support and assist other people as they're getting through their run over by a truck moment. Yeah. Now you never went back to finance. I actually did right after. You did. Okay. Um, I did. Yeah. So I, it's been a journey. I, I went back to finance right after my crash. And then the, after I, because the company that I worked for, J&W Seligman, they were so incredible. I was only working there for a month, but they fought to get me health insurance. So it would cover my stay in the hospital. And I was like, I will work here until the day I die because they really were just such incredible human beings who fought really hard when as a corporation, they could have left me out to dry. They supported me and helped me in a way that like, I will, I will never stop being grateful for. But soon after I got back to work, the financial crisis of 2007, 2008 happened and that company got acquired and, um, and I lost my job. Then I took up another finance job. And actually, while I was still working, while I was in the hospital, while I was at Seligman, and while I went to my next job working at New York Life, I was writing the book that later became How to Get Run Over by a Truck. And um, and I kind of felt this deeper need, this deeper interest to do something that is a, of service of other people, but I wasn't sure what that was. Um, so I worked for a nonprofit organization. I worked there for five years and it still wasn't scratching the itch of what I felt like I needed to do. And I wound up just kind of being really brave and leaving that job and kind of finding my own path in becoming a motivational speaker and a life coach. And that's the business that I've been running for the last three years. I love it. And then, and you're married. Yes, I am. Yep. Are you married to the boyfriend when you were in the accident? I am not. Okay. No, he and I broke up. I okay. spoiler alert for the book. Um, I met another gentleman and, um, and unfortunately I'm a serial monogamist. I'm very good at boyfriends, not as good <laughs> at marriage. So I just got married actually just last June. Awesome. Congrats. Thanks. Thanks. So you guys are in your newlywed stage. We're in and- our newlywed phase, but we are newly wedding in my parents' basement. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
And you probably don't have any idea when you're going to go back to Brooklyn. We are not really sure. No, given my mother's druthers, we would never leave. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do when you guys leave. I was like, have so much more space. I don't know. But yeah, (laughs) we're not we're not really sure. Um, Luckily, because I work for myself, I can do everything virtually. And my husband with his job, currently, he's able to work virtually too. So okay, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's nice that your that your mom doesn't want you to leave. <laughs> yeah, my mom and my my dad too. It's just and that could just be because I'm doing all the cooking. I think. So. Oh, okay. So you're the chef. <laughs> yes, I'm the chef. Okay. My, uh, they've been joking. My my husband is the IT person. I'm the chef, and then uh, my mom my mom does all the cleanup. My dad's like, and I just feel like I'm I'm like the master. You know, like I'm, I'm the baron, really getting all of these people working for me. I was like, you know, you should have more kids, like. <laughs> could have could have been able to really manage things in a better way. <laughs> That's awesome. I fun. am one of the people the many people who have gotten into sourdough bread baking. <gasps> you are so cool. I mean, I'm really not actually that cool, but one of actually one of the co-hosts of of our podcast, she dropped off a starter for me and she's like, "I think yeah. you'll have fun with this." And it has brought me so much joy. Oh my gosh, it must be so beautiful. I've I'm only like making like the New York Times no need bread. Oh yeah, but that which makes is me good. Feel very very fancy. Yes, I know it is fancy. And I I mean, I I guess the the sourdough bread is I had to get over, there's a learning curve, right? Mm-hmm. So first, I, it sort of sat in my fridge for a week and I'm like, this feels like a lot of work. I have a toddler yeah. and a newborn at home oh my gosh, and I yeah. feel like I'm not getting anything done at all. And then once I got over the learning curve, I'm like, this is so fun. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love I love that. I think that this is such an interesting like journey for everybody of being like, hey, I'm going to challenge myself because we're also alleviating a lot of our judgments of ourselves, right? That it's like, you don't have to do this perfectly. You just have to try. And I think that us approaching a lot more stuff with childlike curiosity and with feeling like there's nobody out there to say like, I can't believe you messed up that bread. It just is so lovely. I I think it's, it's cutting ourselves a lot more slack in a way that I think is really beautiful. I've also become a barber. I've now cut my husband <gasps> and my three-year-old's hair. <laughs> you are a fancy, fancy lady. Oh, but nobody wants me to cut their hair when this is when this is over. When when you think about what's the perfect day, it's not going to involve me cutting any anybody's <laughs> hair. <laughs> but we we're making do here. So absolutely, is the mother of invention. I think, and I think that that's an important thing. Is yeah. like we're just we're innovating left and right. Yes, you know when we my grandmother, you know, grew up in the depression. And when she passed and we cleaned out our house, she just had, she hoarded all sorts of things, you know, yarn, all these things. And it is interesting now to think about how, how this will impact, you know, our generation. So what she was keeping for, you know, her whole life when it was, you know, she could buy the yarn later yeah. in life, but it was like she was, was keeping it all. Um, yeah. And so how will this impact our generation and, and mm. will how will it change even some of the amenities in life that we've had to figure out how to do on our own? Absolutely. Well, I always say that I'm, um, we make a joke that I'm always like, oh, I'm keeping it for Justin. And my husband's like, Justin who? I'm like, just in case. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> But I think that that's really real. Like, Kristen, right now I'm I'm growing 
a shallot out of shallot scraps. Did you really? know that you can do that? No, tell me how you do oh, yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm that's an, that's incorrect. Actually, it's a leek. I'm growing it out of a leek. So if you take the base, like the roots of a leek that uh -huh. you like will chop up to put into soup or something, this will be a great experiment for your three-year-old actually. A, uh, a leek, a scallion, even a pineapple you can do, but like with a, you put it in a cup of water and it starts to grow out of the top. It's unbelievable. Hmm. Okay. That sounds like a good experiment. I'm always looking Great for experiment. ideas to keep my, my toddler busy. Oh, another one might be good. This is my mom's favorite, which is you take a stalk of celery, you put blue like food coloring in it, and it shows your toddler about how, how like how um, water moves through plants because you can see the blue food coloring up go up oh, through the celery. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm going to file those away. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, we're at the end of our time together and we have a couple end of podcast questions that I would love to ask you. We are talking to people who are illuminating in their lives and you are, gosh, illuminating in so many ways. And thank you for sharing all of that today. So Who is kind. somebody in your life that illuminates for you? I would say my mother, Margot McKenna. Um, she is a beacon. She approaches everything with such childlike wonder and joy. And she is the queen of a high tide rises all boats. I have never seen someone as happy for somebody else's successes as she would be for her own. She just is like, she lights up when somebody tells her something that they're proud of or they're happy of. And she just like leans into it so hard. And, and she's just such a dream of a mother. I'm, I'm so lucky that she's mine because she just, she, she really lifts me up in so many ways and uh, expends an unbelievable amount of energy just trying to light me up. So she's an illuminating person in my life, I think for sure. That's awesome. And we'll definitely link in the show notes to your memoir. But what is one book recommendation you have? Oh, my goodness. I just read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Is it good? And it is a beautiful. Oh, my gosh. It's phenomenal. I have such a crush. It is. I underline. It was like instead of, you know, they say like highlighting. It was just underlining. Like I underlined the whole book. It's empowering. It's exciting. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. And it. And it it allows us the opportunity to, to think about consistently and constantly recreating ourselves in a way that's that we shouldn't be afraid of and be excited about. Love that. And since you're a chef, so our podcast was started <laughs> out of a supper club and we all love to cook. And so we ask our guests to mm. share a favorite recipe that we can put into the show notes. And it's a good time to give people some recipe inspiration as well. That is fabulous. So I have a huge crush on Allison Roman. Um, one of my best friends from college, she does a Roman a day where she cooks one Allison Roman New York Times, um, you know, recipe every day. My, I'm going to even give you two. I love so it. The first one is garlic braised short ribs, which is like a great Sunday, like holiday meal. And then also her spice chickpea stew, which mm. I know I am so basic and it's like the stew, but it is easy it feeds the crowd and both are like slow cooking goodness where you don't have to pay total attention to it. And it just makes you, it, it makes you feel fancy and they're both warming from the inside and the outside. Oh, yum. They both sound fabulous. And then my last question for you is what is your message for the world? 
think my message for the world is just remember that everything, every good thing, every bad thing, at some point, you'll be wishing for more of it. So don't rush the feeling. Experience it fully. Live in it. Be present. Because at some point in your life, you might want more. And you'll be glad that you fully experienced it. Thank you, Katie. You are truly a light in this world. I took so much from today's episode and I'm really going to focus on being insanely present, finding those little joys. And I'm already thinking a lot about what that ideal day will look like. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you everybody for joining us this week. We hope that you are staying healthy and sane. If you love today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and have a wonderful week.